morning. You guys sounded good today. Sing it. Enjoy, enjoy hearing you guys uh, sing every, uh, every week. It's, uh, it's one of the most unique things of our whole week when we come together. I mean, you're, n- you're never with anybody else and sing throughout the week, are you? I mean, I guess, maybe, I guess maybe Matheson is, because we know Matheson, I guess, is quite the singer now. He, he's doing like a lot of the, the singing and the cabaret stuff, so that's cool. But the rest of us, most of us aren't singing with other folks throughout the week, and there's no, greater, uh, there's no greater thing to do than for God's people to get together and lift our voices praising the King. So thank you, worship team, for leading, in, uh, leading us in that this morning. Well, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Is anybody, is, any, is anybody like super big into Valentine's Day out there? Anybody? No? Just Bill. I know Bill is. Bill's, Bill's a holiday guy. Bill, 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 Bill gets stoked about the holidays. Um, I don't know. Maybe when I was young, I used to be into Valentine's Day. I used to get like super obsessed, obsessed about it. You know, and it's kind of one of those, and now I'm married. We've been, we've been married coming will be on March 1st. We'll, we'll have been married for 13 years. Getting there, getting there. Some of you guys well surpassed that, but we're hitting the 13-year mark, okay? Things are going well, okay? You don't need to worry. Things are going well, but I'll, I will say, while, while, the, while the, the, the love is increasing and, and the affection is increasing and, and, and all the above within our marriage, I will say Valentine's Day seems to be decreasing, <laughs> Just seems to be funny, but but uh, you know I, I I like in a in a way to think back to our. I was thinking this morning as I was sitting at my kitchen table having a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch. Uh, I was thinking about our first Valentine's Day together, and we, I, we actually got a picture of it. Or I think we have a picture of it. Maybe we don't have a picture of it. They're gonna possibly Hunter might pull up a picture of our first Valentine's Day together. There it is. There we are. That is us. In case you were wondering what I used to look like a little thinner and a little younger, that, that is me back in 2006. And uh, that's, that's my wife, Kaylee. Uh, she's in the background now nursing our child. Uh, but that is our first Valentine's Day together. And she was at that time, she was at Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. And I was studying at Georgia State University. Now, some of you older CBC folks, you remember me back then, because that's about when I, when I started to become a part of Community Bible Church, and Kaylee ended up coming back and going to Kennesaw State University, and, and, and you know, I don't know why she came back, but she came back, to, and, we, and we did life together, served here at the church together, and, and the rest is history. But, but I remember back to this time, and this, this love, it was so easy do you think back to the time, like that first time with, with like your, your spouse or even your girlfriend, if you've got a girlfriend? Like those early days were so easy. It was, it was just all so fun. And it was all so fresh. And, and it was all so just bliss. I mean, just, just look, look how sweet that is. I mean, you know, like, look, she, 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 I, I, we're, we're, we're giddy. You notice something, kids? I want y'all to notice something. What do you not see on the table? You don't see a telephone. There's no phone. Like we we talked. And we 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 enjoyed just being together. 
And, and, and we just talked about just things that made us so happy, and it was sweet, and it was fun and easy. And, and what you don't know about this, this picture is that, that I spent a whole day working at Chick-fil-A, or, you know, I got up at five in the morning to go open the restaurant, and, and, and I got up, and I opened the restaurant, and I worked until 2, a, uh, 2 p.m., and then I got in my car after work, and I drove to Birmingham and had this restaurant a reservation. I don't know what restaurant it is, but like, it was, a, it was a long day. It was a hard day. It was, you know, it was a two-hour trip there and a two-hour trip back, but it was worth it because I was in love. And she had never said a critical word to me. You know, she, she, she had never said anything bad to me. She never did anything to make me feel, to make me feel hurt. It was easy. And you know what? That kind of love is easy. That love is fun. And you know what? Anybody can love that way. Anybody. Christian or not. Holy Spirit or not. Anybody can love like that. Anybody can have fun like that. Anybody can sacrifice just a little bit in those type of situations because it's fun and it's exciting. But as we open up our the Word of God today in Luke chapter 6, we see a different type of love that we're called to. A convicting type of love. A challenging type of love. And yes, this morning on Valentine's Day, we are talking about love, and it is appropriate, and God and His, and His sovereignty and His providence. We get, you know, we have, what, church on, on Valentine's Day once every, what, six, seven years, and today we get it, and our message is on love. But it's not love for our Valentine. It's not love for our spouse. It might be love for your spouse. Uh, but uh, it's not love for our Valentine. It's a sacrificial type of love. A love for our enemy. A love for our enemies. As I've read through this passage, I've just, the, the Lord has really worked in, in, in my heart just, recognizing, as I recognize the way that I struggle with this. This is hard. This is challenging. This is a difficult text. I can imagine many of you struggle with this as well. So may God, may, may as we read this, may our prayer be that the Lord would change our hearts. As we read this, may, may we pray that the Lord would convict us of sin that we need to repent of. May, may as we read this, may we pray that the Lord would give us the strength to walk in obedience to what he's called us to and to who he's called us to be by his grace alone, by the power of the Spirit. So if you've got your Bible this morning, please follow along as I read in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. We read, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. 
And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. May God bless the reading of his word. My main point this morning is Jesus calls his disciples to reflect God's love in the world. Simple. Jesus calls his disciples to reflect God's love in the world. So with that, I believe that we, we, there are three types of love. Three types of love that, that we're called to express, that we're called to, we're called to as Christians. Three types of love. Point one, a selfless love. A selfless love. You got your notes? A selfless love. Jesus calls us to a selfless love. He says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Now, as we think about the context here, we'll remember last week that as we studied through the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. Those who are broken over their sin, you are a part of God's kingdom. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be full. Blessed are those who weep over their sin, for you will laugh. And blessed are you who are persecuted for my sake. You will be like Christ. Now, I think in, in, this, in this idea here of, the, of loving your enemies, I think the context kind of lends itself to that idea of persecution. Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and right, right, on, right on the heel of, of, uh, of this discussion of persecution, as Jesus is preaching to his disciples, he's saying, you will be persecuted because I was persecuted. And the prophets of old who obeyed God, they were persecuted. You will be persecuted as well. And so I, th- I think the context of this, of this call to love our enemies here primarily is a call to love those that would persecute us. They're not for us. They're against us. And, and they're not for us because they're against God. They hate God. They hate Christ. Because they hate Christ, they hate us. And, and as we've, we've talked about with, with the apostles, these these guys that would end up giving their lives for the sake of the gospel. And as as we talked about throughout church history, all of these different men and women that God has used to to build his church. We we talked about how people would die for their faith. They'd be martyred, be separated from their families. They'd lose their homes. They'd lose their jobs. That even happens today. It's normal. That's That's the normal way that Christ has built his church through such circumstances. We've talked about that. As we think about that, those are hard circumstances. 
Those aren't easy things to deal with. And Holy Spirit or not, these, these aren't exactly fun ways to suffer. It's not fun. It's not like, yay, I get to be separated from my family and go to prison. That's fun. I, I get to die. I, I get to have my head chopped off. That's fun. I get to be robbed and pillaged. That's, it, it's, not, it's not fun. These are real things that people throughout all of church history have dealt with. Real persecution. Real hatred. Real problems. And they're real. And, and we sometimes struggle. We sometimes struggle to, to deal with that. We struggle, we struggle to comprehend that because most of us haven't dealt with that. Most of us have suffered very little, if at all, for the gospel. But here... Jesus is, is calling his disciples to a radical, selfless love for the people that would persecute them. The people that would hate them. Jesus calls them to love them. Now, now while I believe that is the direct context of this passage, I believe at the very least, at the very least, it also applies to other enemies that we have in our lives. <laughs> Maybe they aren't the people that would kill us or put us in prison, but they are the type of people that don't like us, that slander us, that hurt us, that wound us, that talk about us, that steal from us. Real life enemies. I believe if Christ is calling his disciples to love the, persecu the persecutors, he's also calling us to love the, the folks in our life that just bring pain and drama and hurt as well. Christ calls his disciples to a radical, selfless love. A love for all of our enemies. How do we respond to persecution? How do we respond to being hated? How do we respond to opposition? How do Christians respond? How does Christ call us to respond? How does Christ call Christian you to respond? You, 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 you call yourself a Christian? Call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ? Say, I want to follow Christ. I want to be like Christ. I want to obey. I want to walk in obedience. In the midst of such situations, how do I respond? Look here to Luke 6. A godly response to opposition starts with a love for your enemies. A love for your enemies. It's a command. It's an imperative. It's Jesus' says, love your enemies. We first see that this, this, this dealing with opposition, this dealing with persecution, it starts with a heart posture. Love. Love. A word that we use a lot and rarely understand. This type of love here is, is, is agape love. It's a selfless love. It's an unconditional love. It's not the type of love that you love me, therefore I love you. It's not the type of love that says you do for me, therefore I love you because you bring me pleasure or you bring me things, or you bring me stuff, or you bring me happiness. It's an unconditional, selfless type of love. 
this heart posture. It is, it, it is not just a simple choice. There is, it is filled with compassion. Compassion for the individual. Mercy for the individual. It's looking out for the good of the other individual. Not hatred, not bitterness, not arrogance, but love. Love for the individual. We have people that hurt us, with people that talk about us, with people that don't like us and slander our names. Christian, God's will for your life is not that you would walk around bitter. God's will for your life is not that you would gossip about them behind their back. God's will for your life is not that you would sulk and throw yourself a pity party. God's will for you with your enemies, with those that hurt you, with those that persecute you, with those that don't like you, that work against you, is to love them. Is to love them. We're not called to remove all the drama out of our lives. I'm just, I'm just going to block them. I'm going to cancel them. I, I, I'm going I'm to I'm take my time and I'm going to live it for me. I'm going to have a little me time. Because it's about me. Because my life revolves around me and my feelings. And, how, and, and it's all response to how everyone else responds to me. No, we are called to actively love those who persecute us. To love our enemies. To love those who hurt us. This love is a choice, but it's an affection. Are you struggling this morning to, to feel love for your enemies? Are you struggling this morning to, to, to truly have compassion and mercy on those that do not like you and you know it? Friend, fall on your knees and pray that the Lord would give you compassion. Pray that he would conform you to Christ and make you more like Christ who gives mercy. A godly response to opposition starts with love. And another response is this, that we would do good. We would do good to those that hate us. We would actively do good to those that hate us. This is an intentional working for the good of our enemies. And, and, and action, taking a step, not just saying, oh, I love you. you. You know I love you, right? No, this is actively working for the good of our enemies. Those that don't like you. Those that are working against you. Those that talk about you behind your back. Those that make fun of you. Those that mock you. Those that steal from you. Christ calls us to love them and to do good to them. To actively work for their good. And Jesus, Jesus gives us, I think, a few examples of that here. That I'm, that I'm not going to go into too great of detail because I don't necessarily think it's the main point of this passage, but I think he gives us a few opportunities to kind of look at the way maybe they would have done that. He, to one that strikes you on the cheek, all for the other also. And working good, like we're, we're not supposed to retaliate. God doesn't call us to retaliate. We're not vengeful people. We don't take vengeance out on our enemies. You, you know, you said something personal 
about me, I'm going to say something personal about you. You were rude to me, I'm going to be rude to you, and you deserve it. And I'm justified in that. That's not what Christ calls us to. When we are insulted, this, this, this slap on the cheek, it's been long debated what it could possibly mean. The word could technically mean punch, but, but in this context, it probably is the type of disrespectful slap that, that a religious leader would have given uh, someone for blasphemy. And we, we know that many in, in, uh, in this time in, in the, the Jewish culture, they, they were very, they very thought very little of Jesus and his disciples. We knew that many of them were, were martyred. And so there, there was an aspect, when, when they persecute you, when they slap you, offer them the other cheek as well. We will not retaliate. Working for the good of others is, we, we, means we don't retaliate. He, he also highlights the fact that we are generous. He, J- Jesus highlights this uh, one who would take your cloak, offer your tunic as well, someone who begs from you, uh, give to them, someone who takes your goods, don't demand them back. It means that like we're not an overly uh, materialistic bunch of people. That we care far more about people than we care about our stuff. We care far more about people than we care about benefiting from the people. That we would be generous, radically generous to even those who hate us. Even those that are ungrateful. Even those that we know are talking behind our back and dislike us. We're called to a radical type of generosity. We are called to do good to such people. That's what our Savior Jesus calls us to. That's the kind of life he's called us to. That we would love our enemies. That, that we would do good to those that hate us. And another godly response to opposition is that we would bless those who curse us. Bless those who curse us. This is Kind of the intentional praising of our enemies. Kind of weird. Kind of a weird way of phrasing that. We're not flattering them. We're not mocking them. We're not being pandering or patronizing them or anything. But we're encouraging to them. We, we, we find things that are praiseworthy of them and we, 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 we bless them. We, we don't, again, we don't flatter them, but we don't, we don't go out of our way to insult them. We don't go out of our way to speak ill of them. We don't gossip about them. We, with our enemies, we bless them. We don't talk about them behind their backs. We're working for their good. Fourth godly response to opposition is we pray for those that abuse us. We pray for those that abuse us. This is intentional, private prayer for our enemies. Intentional, private prayer for our enemies. How, how's your prayer life been this week, church? How's your prayer life been? I don't know what your prayer life has been. I don't know how, I don't know what you've prayed for. But I know most of my prayers tend to be like, someone's sick, heal them, Lord. Or give them joy and peace and grace and such. And pray that my kids would become Christians. It's amazing, even though 
Jesus is so clear here. It's, it, it's amazing how little I pray for my enemies. It's amazing. I've got a hunch that you're probably in the same boat, you know? Maybe you don't have a lot of enemies. <laughs> but I know we all have some. It's amazing how often my prayers are me-focused, my situation-focused, and they're focused on the people that I know love me. The people that I would make much of. The people that benefit me. I can pray for those people. Easy. My kids can pray for those people because they know it means a lot to daddy. I can pray, I can pray for, for you guys all day. I love you guys. There's some folks that I never think to pray for. And I, as I read this passage, Jesus calls us to pray for those who abuse you. What kind of prayer would that be? What would that look like? Well, for, first, I, I think we could pray for their conversion. Specifically in this kind of context, as, as Jesus is calling them to, 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 to love those that would persecute them and, and who hate them, pray for their conversion. Pray that they would come to know the Lord. Oh, that we would not be like Jonah, who the Lord used to go to, to preach to the, the, the Ninevites. And he'd go there and he would speak the word of the Lord, but he really desired just nothing but justice done to them. May we be merciful. May we pray for their conversion. May we pray for a mighty work that the Lord would save them and that, that, that they would no longer be enemies of God nor enemies of each other, but we would be one in Christ Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing? Pray for their conversion. Pray for it. Pray that the Lord would save the sinner. Pray for, for mercy in their life. Pray that God would give them mercy. We see this example in, in Acts chapter 7, verse 60, as Stephen, the first martyr of the, of the church, is being stoned. He's, he, he prays for mercy for those who are killing him in that moment. And you know what, friend? That same Holy Spirit that, lives in, that lived in Stephen lives in you. We can demonstrate mercy by the power of the Spirit just as Stephen did. Pray that in the midst of persecution that their evil may be restrained. Don't just ignore evil. Don't just push it to the side. But we pray that evil would be restrained. Pray that God would protect, protect us, but that he would do it though. That he would be the one that does it. That we don't take matters into our own hands. That we're not a vengeful people. Vengeance is whose? God's. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's mine. It's not yours. It's not your job. So we can come and we can go to psalm after psalm after psalm and read it. And we pray the scripture and say, God, I know vengeance is yours. Bring it, Lord. Bring it. It's yours, not mine. But we can also pray that God would bless this person and take care of this person. This person would prosper. Pray for their well-being. Pray for their well-being. We 
love our enemies. We do good to those that hate us. We're called to bless those who curse us. We're called to pray for those that abuse us and to treat others the way that we desire to be treated. We all have a good example of that, right? We all, we all know how we want to be treated. There's not a single one of us who's like, you know, I just, I just don't know how I want to be treated. I don't, I don't know how I want people to think of me. I don't, know, I don't know how I want people to talk to me. I don't know. We all know it. We've all got some small expectation or maybe even a large expectation of the way that people should respond to us. And we want everyone to treat us well. We want everybody to like, you know, bow at our feet and meet all of our long list of demands of life. And Jesus says, you know what? Don't focus on everybody else. You go treat other, you go be the active agent who goes and shows mercy and grace to other people. Go do good to them. Go treat them the way that you want to be treated. Get your mind off yourself. Get your heart off yourself. Get your eyes off yourself and go love. A selfless type of love. We see this reiterated in Romans 12. Paul writes to the church at Rome. He he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. It's easy for us to say, oh, we... We can rejoice within our church. The, the context of rejoicing with those who rejoice is rejoicing with the persecutors who rejoice. Rejoice with them. Be happy for them when something goes well in their life. When something goes well in your enemy's life, rejoice. And weep with those who weep. Weep with them. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, here's what we do, church, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We don't go out looking for a fight. We don't go out looking to make enemies. Just go be like Christ. You will make enemies. You will. Jesus promises us that. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, so again, context here is dealing with enemies, dealing with persecutors. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do you think your enemy just needs a strong word of rebuke from you? Do you think that your enemy simply needs you to go off on him? Do you think your enemy simply needs to be blocked? Listen to Jesus. Listen to the Apostle Paul. You know what your enemy needs? His blessing. His prayer. His mercy. is being fed when they're hungry, is being given something to drink when they're thirsty, is working for their good. You know, earlier in Romans, in chapter 2, Paul reminds the church at Rome that it was the kindness of God that led 
us to repentance. Somewhere along the way, many of us have gotten off track. And we think it's our witty personalities and our boldness that's going to win the culture to Christ. Christ calls us to love our enemies. He calls us in Luke to love our enemies. He calls us in Romans to love our enemies. He calls us to a selfless type of love. Next, he calls us to a countercultural type of love. A countercultural type of love. Jesus says, disciples, if, if you love those that, that love you, what benefit is that to you? If you do good to those that do good to you, what good is that to you? What benefit is that to you? Is that the way that you live? Oh, for, for, and you're bragging about that? Like the Pharisees? You're bragging about that type of... Like giving to somebody who gives to you? Giving to somebody that benefits you? Giving to somebody that likes you and praises you? And you're like, you're kind of in this thing together. And, and like, you know, maybe you're doing life together. And maybe, yeah, there's some hard times. But, you know, overall, you know, you like each other. That's the extent of your generosity. And that's the extent of your love. Oh, Jesus says, I look at that and I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed with that kind of love. The whole world loves that way. The whole world loves that way. Oh, the, the world, don't, don't get it wrong, church. The world is great at loving. The world is great. They're amazing at it. You know, we, we, were, we were made to love. We were made to worship. We were, we were made to praise. Sinners do it well. You know? They love people that look like them. They love people that think like them. They love people that act like them. You have their worldview... You, you pose no threat to them. You praise them for who they are and who they, they say they want to be. You celebrate them. You celebrate their identity. You celebrate their beliefs. You celebrate all their worldview. They'll love you to death. If you don't, you don't celebrate them. You don't worship them. You don't bow at their altar. You're canceled. You're canceled. You're done. You're blocked. You're defriended. You're unfollowed. You're hated. You lose your job. Canceled. That's the way the world loves. Give it all to you. If you're like us, and you think like us, and you do good to us, and you're benefit, and you're profitable to us, and if not, cancel. Oh, we can all say, we can all say we can say we can get together Wednesday night and we can we can get our little small groups and we can talk about how much we hate cancel culture. Are we any different? Are we any different? Just because we don't like 
go calling for someone's job because they're, they hate us? Or just, just because we don't actively go out and, and, and hate them and persecute them? And Christian, are we still actively loving such type of people? Are we still actively working for their good and praying for them and blessing them and being generous with them and giving to them and loving for them and working for them? That is Christ-like love. That is counter-cultural love. You do not need the Holy Spirit to love those that love you. You do not need the Holy Spirit to love, lo- love those that make much of you. You do not need the Holy Spirit to love those that agree with you politically. Oh, but when the Holy Spirit, and He comes and He, he, he lives inside us and He dwells and He changes us and He makes us more like Christ, that is when we can love the unlovable. That is when we can love our enemies. That is a countercultural type of love. There is nothing, nothing inherently godly about worldly love. Nothing. Nothing. You don't need to be a follower of Christ to love the way the world loves. But Christ calls us, church, to love counterculturally, to love our enemies. A third type of love, a reflective love. A reflective love. Jesus reiterates here, he says, but love your enemies. Love them. And do good. And lend. And you know what? Expect nothing in return. Your, 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 your love for them, you're doing good for them, you're blessing them and you're lending and generosity. Don't do it so that you can get something from them. Your motivation is not that they would reciprocate. Your motivation is not that they would somehow bless you or be of benefit to you. It's not the motivation for our love. That's what we're called to. But yet, even in the midst of loving our enemies and doing good to our enemies and lending to our enemies and expecting nothing in return from our enemies, God promises us, church, in the midst of such love, that our reward will be great. Amen. Amen. And and, and this reward is not a worldly reward. It's not a reward from man. It's not a pat on the back from your enemies. It's not a viral Facebook post. It's not money. It's not being well thought of. 
It's not being the Time Magazine person of the year. Reward is God himself. God himself. And for those who are broken over their sin, when those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, when those who weep over their sin, dear friends, that reward is more than sufficient. It's glorious. It's eternally fulfilling. It is hope in the darkest night. Hope in the hardest moment of life. Hope in the midst of persecution. Joy in the midst of persecution. Knowing that we have God and that God has us. And listen, what does it say here? That we are children of God. That we are sons of the Most High. Oh, you might have enemies as high as you can see, but if you are in Christ, you are son or daughter of the Most High. What's he getting at here? Is he saying that in order for you to be a Christian, you must go do, 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 do. And if, and if you go do enough, you go love selflessly enough and love counterculturally enough that, that, that you'll, you'll earn the right to become a son of God. No. That's blasphemy. It's by grace we are saved through faith. Scripture is so clear on that that, that that we are saved nothing but the mercy, by the mercy of God. Our only hope is the mercy of God. Period. Oh, but Scripture is also so clear, friends, that those who are saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, and the Spirit indwells within us, that we will walk in righteousness, we will become like Christ, we will walk in obedience, we will be changed, we will love like Jesus loves. We will. We will do that by the power of the Spirit. Christ will work in us. This will be evident of our lives. And as we do that, as we go out and we love our enemies, we bless those who curse us and we pray for those that hate us. Friends, we reflect the love of God. We reflect his character. We show the world the love of God. I, I think back to my kids, and I, I love looking at my kids because it's just so funny because I just wonder, was I like that as a kid? Did I think like that? Did I do that? And there's a lot, there's a lot that I see that like reminds me of myself. There's a lot of my kids that I see reminds me of my wife. And it brings me great joy to see my children. It brings me great joy when my children were sitting there and were watching a football game and 
They're like, Daddy, Daddy, who, who, who are we cheering for? Well, who, who do you want to cheer for? I don't know, Daddy. Who, who are you cheering for? Oh, it brings them great joy to do what Dad wants to do. That's how it is for the children of God. For those who are in Christ Jesus, who have been saved by his grace alone, we look to our Heavenly Father and we say, Father, I, I want to honor you. I want to be like you. It brings me great joy to bring glory to you, to listen to you, to follow you, to be like you. And we look at this picture here in Luke 6, it says, our Father, the, the, the Most High, that He is kind to the ungrateful. He's kind to the ungrateful. Do you know how hard it is? I don't, I don't have to tell you. I mean, you know how hard it is to be kind to the ungrateful? How many of you have kids? You got kids? It's always... There's nothing better than when they complain about the meal that, that you make. Or is that just my kids? You ever employed anybody? They're always grateful. Always. 100% of the time. You ever been employed? Your boss is always grateful, aren't they? You been married? See, we're full, we have plenty of relationships that are full of ungratefulness. And it's always difficult for us to want to and like to do something kind for people who are ungrateful. But God, in His great mercy, and out of the goodness of His heart, not out of compulsion, but out of true love and true joy, God is kind to the ungrateful, like you, and like me. And God, he's kind to the evil. They're just not ungrateful. They're not just a little bad. They're not just like, a, like you know, I know my kid's just being ungrateful right now, but overall, you know, he's kind of a good kid and I love him. No, he's, God's kind to the evil. And that's where the call here, Jesus says, the, the most important part of Luke 6 is Luke 6.36. At least the part of this passage, he says, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. God created us for His glory, and God calls us to re reflect His glory, to, to, to be image bearers. God made us in His image and in, in His likeness, and, and we're, we are called and we are made to reflect His image. Christians, when we show mercy, I'll say it like this, there's no better way, there's no better way to reflect the glory in the image of our God than to show love and mercy to our enemies no greater way on this earth than to show mercy 
to the world, to show mercy and love to our enemies. Because that is what our Father has done, church, for us. That is what he's done for us. I'll close with this in Romans 5. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. In Romans 5, verses 6 through 11, we see this. Paul writes, For while we were still weak, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. We were were weak and we were incapable. We, We were incapable of following the law. We were incapable of being obedient. We were we were weak. We were ungodly. In the midst of that, at the right time, Christ and he came and died for such people. Paul ramps it up, though. He says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even die. A culture would often die for good people, good causes, a good country. We see that. I was watching the movie Thor this week. Over time, I'm trying to go back. I'm, I'm a nerd. I'm trying to go back and maybe see if I can enjoy all the Marvel movies. There's this point. The, the movie's 10 years old now, so spoiler alert, but I'm sorry. It's like 10 years old, so if you haven't seen it by now, sorry. This point where Thor is in this very, the very first story, he comes back and he says, he's talking to his brother Loki, who's wanting to destroy all the earthlings, and he says, these people are good people. You cannot kill them. They're innocent people. But I'll lay down my life for them. You know, basically kind of one of those things. Kind of the mindset of our culture. Most people are practically good. They're innocent people, not deserving of death. And I'm just sitting here thinking like, they deserve to die. They're, they're, they're enemies of God, and that would probably be the right thing that God would just take them right now. That doesn't make a good movie though, does it? But in our culture, they think that. So they'll scarcely die for a righteous person. Not just a righteous person, they'd even die for a good person. They might even dare to die. I'm sure Connor's got many friends in the armed services who have gone and given their life for this country, but they don't love the Lord. It's an honorable death, but that doesn't mean they love the Lord. People will die for good people, good causes. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners... While we're sinners, Christ died for us. Now, even then, you, you might read that, and, and you might think, well, yeah, okay, we're, we're all sinners. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that I do bad things. I, I, I acknowledge that, that, you know, I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. But we're all sinners. But even though we're all sinners, you know, I, I didn't blow up like, I didn't blow up the, the Twin Towers. I didn't go storm the Capitol. I didn't go destroy buildings. I didn't murder anybody. It's not me. I, I, like, I know I'm a sinner because, you know, we're all sinners and nobody's perfect. Because, you know, I look at this and, you know, yeah. 
Christ died for sinners. Paul keeps going. He says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Yes, you were weak, and yes, you were a sinner. But there's the problem with that is that in that we were enemies of God. In your weakness and in your sinning, you weren't in some neutral state against God. You weren't on God's team. You weren't on God's side. You were against God, fighting against God, working against God, slandering God, deserving of the wrath of God. That's all you were. You weren't trying to get to God. You weren't seeking after God. This word tells us none seek after God. No, not one. Each moment, every day of your life apart from Christ is one of rebelling against God. Each and every one of us. And if you are not in Christ Jesus today, that is still where you're at at this moment. Even if you are listening to this sermon, you're suppressing the truth. You're rejecting God and you're walking in unrighteousness, and you, apart from Christ, if you do not repent of your sin and trust in Christ, will receive the wrath of God spoken of here. But even in the midst of that, even in the midst where we walk so passionately and naturally against God as his enemies, as weak Sinners, oh friends, in the midst of that, when we were God-haters and self-lovers, Christ died for us. He didn't die for basically good people. He didn't die for righteous people. He laid down his life for his enemies. He looked under the, he, from the cross he looked out and Christ said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And for those of us who are in Christ, his death was for us. That is our God. That is our God. So church, who are you not to love your enemy? Oh, would it be the height of arrogance and the height of pride and the height of vileness for us to say that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ by his mercy alone and to walk in bitterness and resentment toward our enemies 
If that's you this morning, dear friend, look at the text. See Christ's mercy. See the, the forgiveness he offers and repent. Repent. Pray that God would make you like Christ. Or that you would shine the glorious attributes of his merciful character in your workplace, in your marriage, in your family, in your friendships, in your neighborhood, among the church body. I'm sure there's even somewhat mild case of enemies even in this room. And, and may we see the mercy that God's given us and may we walk in it. May we reflect it. And may we do so joyfully, knowing that we don't do so by the flesh. We do so by the power of the Spirit. We serve a God who's given us a selfless love. Who's given us a countercultural love. And who's called us to live in a reflective love. The pure, merciful, gracious love of God. May that be true of us, church.